today we start in the become section of our notebooks. And so um, there are four sections in your notebooks, and those are four key themes that are going to come up again and again, especially if you worship here with us on Sundays, because these are our four core beliefs as a church. We are a worshiping community who worships God together. And secondly, we are aiming at becoming disciples together. Over the past few weeks, as we have looked at the topic of worship, I noticed how the idea of maturity kept coming up. And I think that this has been a really big focus, and that's why we did the study the way that we did, because our goal is to to grow into maturity as believers, and that's a huge part in becoming disciples. And so today we don't just focus on becoming, we also focus on fearless, our theme for the year. And as I thought about being fearless, uh, there was a book that I came across by Max Lucado called Fearless. Um, So that was a big resource for me this week. And so in order to not be redundant and repetitive, I will tell you now that I used a lot of his book for my lecture today. And I think being fearless is a huge part of our growing into maturity. As we become disciples, mature in our faith, we grow to realize that our fears were a sign of our immaturity. Because it's our fears that show that we were valuing and trusting in things that were other than God. So today we focus on fear and how to get that destructive thing out of our lives. And as in my last lecture, today will be very similar. The first part is going to look at Psalm 46 very briefly. You spent some time in Psalm 46 this week, and I don't want to rob you of your chance to really discuss it in your groups. And so I'm just going to give a little overview of Psalm 46, but then I'm going to instead focus the majority of my time today on fear. Fear what it is what it robs us of, and how we can rid our lives of it. And so with that, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, Lord, we all have so many fears. Lord, I pray you would bring those to mind today and help us to learn how we can rid our lives of those fears and instead fix our eyes on you. You are our creator, you are our sustainer, and it is in you that we put our trust, Lord. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you want to speak to us today, Lord, and may our discussion and our time together be a wonderful blessing. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so let's start with Psalm 46. So if earth is not our fixed position, where can we be anchored? And that is the question answered by Psalm 46. It celebrates God's strength and our security in him. There are three sections in this psalm. Verses 1 through 9, the biggest section, is our meditation. Verse 10 is God's response. And finally, verse 11 is the closing conclusion of this passage, which is also a repetition of verse 7. 
So I'm just going to read through the first part, our meditation. Verses 1 through 9, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He, he burns the shields with fire. So God is our refuge, it starts with. Another word for shelter. When it rains or it pours, God is our protection. But he is not only our shelter, he is also our strength. He fights for us. He is both our shield and our sword. And the picture of God as our refuge or as our shield is a powerful one. Throughout the Psalms, um, God is pictured as our shield, but usually it doesn't just say that he is our shield. It says he is a shield around us. Now, there are two types of shields. There's one that usually is the one that comes to mind when you hear the word shield, and it's the one that they use to protect themselves from the blow of an opponent. It's smaller. But there is another type of shield that would be the size of a door, and it wraps around you. That is the picture we get of God in the Psalms as a shield around us. But the thing about that shield is you would only use it if you were going into following a general to besiege a fortress. If you were going on purpose into an area that's going to be very dangerous. And a shield doesn't work if you're running away. It only works if you're moving forward. That is a picture of how God protects us. He is a shield around us, but it only works when we're going forward in obedience. So God is our refuge, our shield, but he is also our ever-present help in trouble. God not only shields us, but he goes with us. And that is the foundation of why we are told not to fear, because God is with us. Constantly in the Bible, when it says, do not fear, it's followed by a promise of God's presence. Do not fear, for I am with you. The truth about God being our shield, our fortress, and our ever-present help brings about this confession in the psalm that therefore we will not fear. So as we go through the passage, we see that hurricane, tidal wave, earthquake, and avalanche will not make us fear because instead we focus on God as our creator and our sustainer who holds us tight. 
as we continue through this psalm, not only is creation raging in chaos, but the nations are raging as well. There's a verb here that's used twice of creation and then of the nations. So there is chaos in nature and there is chaos in history, but God is the stability and security that we hold to. Then we come to verse 10, God's response. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So as God is able to bring peace to the earth, he is also able to bring peace to our hearts. We are invited to know that he is God to experience him in the quiet of our hearts. This is a relational experience as we let God's peace settle down on us. And then the psalm ends in verse 11 with a repetition of verse 7 as its refrain. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We do not fear because God is with us as our safety and as our security. So this was the psalm that you meditated upon this week. I hope it was a reminder of God's presence and a comfort to you. But now that we have spent just a little bit of time looking at it, I'm going to move into looking at fear more broadly. So what is fear? There was a clip that I would have loved to show you, but the quality wasn't very good. Um, But it's from a movie, if you've seen it, called The Tale of Despero. Um, It's about this little mouse who isn't like the other mice in that he's not afraid. And so um, his teacher meets with his parents, and his teacher tells them, you know, Despero, he's not scurrying, he's not cowering, he's even drawing pictures of cats. And they are absolutely appalled at this. Oh no, he is and so then his teacher brings Despero in and he says to him, to him, you can't be a mouse if you don't learn to be afraid. Oh, Despero, there are so many wonderful things in this life to be afraid of if you will just learn how scary they are. And isn't that the truth? There is so much in this world to be afraid of. Just turn on the news. We have people who hurt other people for reasons we'll never understand. We have natural disasters that are completely out of our control. We even have bugs that carry diseases. I mean, talk about things that are completely uncontrollable and so many things to be afraid of. So what kind of fear is the wrong kind of fear? Is all fear bad? What kind of fear do we want to rid our lives of? Well, first of all, Tim Keller in his sermon about fear says that fear is our most primal emotion. Our first sound in this life is a cry of fear. We were pretty comfortable in our mother's womb 
And then we enter into this big, confusing, huge world, and it's really scary, and we cry out. In fact, it's the root of the first sin back in Genesis. Genesis 3, 1, the serpent asks, Did God really say, You will be like God, he offers. And just like that, Eve was afraid. She was filled with pride. She was defiant. She was disobedient, sure. But wasn't she first afraid? Afraid that God was holding out on her. Afraid that she was missing out on something. Afraid that Eden wasn't enough. Afraid that God wasn't enough. Afraid that God couldn't deliver. In the garden, Lucado says, they mishandled fear and fear did them in. It is fear that is mismanaged that leads to sin. So what is mismanaged fear? Well, we might explain it by noting the difference between fear and anxiety. Now, you can't fully separate the two. However, I think in showing how fear becomes anxiety, we can understand the kind of fear we're talking about today. Fear can at first be an initial reaction to something. There is a healthy kind of fear. Perhaps you're afraid of the heart disease that runs in your family, so you choose to eat healthy and exercise. That can be a healthy fear. However, if the thought of that so pervades your mind that it makes you so nervous and consumed by it, it becomes an unhealthy type of fear. Perhaps you fear when you see your child suddenly start to fall and that fear causes a rush of an adrenaline that you're able to grab them. That's a healthy kind of fear. But the wrong kind of fear does the opposite. It's deeper and it's debilitating. Healthy fear summons your capacity to protect what you know is important. Unhealthy fear is deeper. It turns into great anxiety. It is usually generalized and not specific. It debilitates and it paralyzes you. It makes you unable to act. Tim Keller, when explaining the differences between these two types of fear, explains that this kind of unhealthy fear or anxiety is not just a threat to your physical being. It's a threat to your very sense of self. So here is an example in the Bible. You probably know the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. When they invite Jesus over, Mary sits at Jesus' feet while Martha is running around and filled with anxiety. The word used for anxiety here in the Greek means to be in pieces. Martha is in pieces. Her mind is divided and she has way too many goals. Martha is troubled about the many things while Mary has found the one thing. And this is anxiety, to be in pieces, to be troubled about the many things. Healthy fear is a legitimate concern. Unhealthy fear turns into toxic panic. Jesus doesn't condemn legitimate concern for responsibility, but rather the continuous mindset that dismisses God's presence. 
because destructive anxiety subtracts God from our future. Healthy fear is like prudence that wears a seatbelt. Unhealthy fear is like paranoia that avoids cars altogether. Prudence washes with soap. Paranoia avoids human contact. Prudence saves for old age. Paranoia hoards even trash. Max Lucado says that left unchecked, real legitimate concern metastasizes into obsessions. And that is the kind of fear we're talking about here. Paranoia versus prudence, the kind of fear that becomes destructive anxiety. Now, I feel completely unqualified to be up here talking to you about being fearless. I am anything but fearless. Just writing this lecture, which I think there's no coincidence in this, but in writing this lecture, I was terribly afraid. For some reason, this week, I had a lot of fear about it that I was just not going to have anything to say to you today. (laughs) That I was going to get up here and make a fool of myself because somehow God has come through every time in the past, but this time he wasn't going to. I have so many times been crippled by fear. Just a couple weeks ago, um, a cousin of mine who I had never personally met, but her son, who was 25 years old, was in a terrible car accident and passed away very suddenly. And the whole thing was a big freak accident that we don't know how it happened. We'll never know what happened, what caused it, all of that. But as my mom was telling me this on the phone, I was totally overcome by that sense of panic and anxiety because it's those uncontrollable things, those freak accidents that scare me to nothing else. And so as she's telling me this, I felt myself being filled with that overwhelming sense of fear. And so When I hung up the phone, I had to keep telling the Lord, Lord, I'm putting my worship back on you. I'm pulling it off of the ones who I love that I'm so scared of losing, and I'm putting it back on you. And I had to say this over and over and over again. Something that's helped me in my fear of losing those I love is, first, it made me super uncomfortable, um, but over time, I've learned that it's helped me, is to just imagine if the worst happened, if the thing that I fear actually did happen, where is my God? If the worst happened, where is my God? Is he still there? Does he still carry me? Can he still bring good into my life? And the answer to those questions becomes a resounding yes. And as I answer those questions, slowly and very slowly, my fear can start to melt away. Because fear robs us of so much. I've shared this before, but I often used to think that being afraid about losing something or someone would help me to appreciate it more. But I slowly realized that it does not do that. It does the complete opposite. I can't fully appreciate any of my blessings if I'm always afraid of losing them. Because fear robs us. It robs us of so much. 
Max Lucado says, fear, it seems, has taken a hundred-year lease on the building next door and set up shop. Oversized and rude, fear is unwilling to share the heart with happiness because fear robs us of our happiness. Can you be happy and afraid at the same time? And it robs us of our ability to think clearly. It robs us of our confidence. It robs us of the ability to be merciful. Fear herds us into prison and then slams the door. Fear inhibits our ability to love deeply because love is risky. Fear keeps us from fully being able to be benevolent because how can we give to the poor without any guarantee of return? The fear-filled can't dream wildly because what if your dreams don't happen? And one of the best examples of fear, I think, comes from the story of Jesus and the storm. It's in Mark 4, 35 through 41, and I'm just going to read this passage first. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So in the book of Matthew, when this same incident is described, he uses a certain word to describe the storm. It's a seismos. Does that sound familiar? It's like a quake. A great trembling eruption came out of the sea, and it shook them to their very core. This word is only used two other times in Matthew. Once to describe the shaking at Jesus' death, and secondly to describe the graveyard trembling at his resurrection. This was quite the storm. So, if you ever wondered if getting in the boat with Jesus means a lifetime of Caribbean cruises, read this story. Oftentimes, getting on board with Jesus means getting soaked with Jesus. It is not the absence of storms that sets us apart. It's about who we discover in the storm, an unstirred Christ. And what do the disciples say in response to this? Do they say, Jesus, did you know about the storm out there? Jesus, can you do something about that storm, please? No, they say, Jesus, don't you care? And isn't that exactly what we do when we face the storms of life, when we're filled with fear? Because fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. We begin to wonder if God even cares. Fear causes a form of spiritual amnesia. 
It dulls our mind to miracle memory, and it drains our lives of contentment. Fear brings about doubt and turns us into control freaks. Because at the very center isn't fear the perceived loss of control. Fear robs us of so much. Fear brings about doubts not only in ourselves, but perhaps especially in God and in his character and his goodness. So we have learned what fear is. We have seen what it robs us of. But how can we become fearless? How do we rid our lives of this debilitating fear? So the opposite of fear and anxiety is peace. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Have you ever thought about that? With thanksgiving, present your requests. How can we present our requests with thanksgiving? We're just asking for things. We are just making requests of God, but it says to do this with thanksgiving. So how do we do that? We say, Lord, whatever you do in response to my request is good, and I thank you for it. If you give me what I asked for, I thank you in advance. But if you give me the opposite of what I asked for, I know that you are good. And I thank you that you are in control of my life. This is the key to having peace, to being able to, to present our requests with thanksgiving. That is the key to having peace. And peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Tim Keller, in his sermon on peace, said that fruit of the Spirit is a singular term. Now, we often say fruits of the Spirit, but in the Bible, it's fruit of the Spirit. They go together. So how do we know that the Spirit is truly creating them in us? They'll go together. We cannot manufacture peace in our life on our own. If we do, we'll do so at the expense of joy or love. Instead, when it's the Spirit who truly brings about peace in our lives, we'll start to notice that we're also more loving. We're also more joyful, more patient, more self-controlled. Because they go together. So when Mary and Martha met with Jesus, Mary was able to have her mind on the one thing. While Martha was filled with anxiety, she was in pieces. She had too many goals. So how do we become filled with peace? We become single-minded. Focus on the one thing. Peace comes from focusing on the one instead of the many. So think of Peter walking on the water. This is yet another story of them getting into a boat and having a storm. But this time, Jesus comes walking on the water. The first thing they shout is that it's a ghost because they didn't expect Jesus to approach them this way. 
And don't we do the same? We expect to see Jesus in our church time, our devotionals, but we don't expect to see him when we have financial hardships, when we have relationship struggles, when we have the storms. But that is oftentimes when Jesus comes to us because it is in the storms that he does his finest work because then he has our keenest attention. And perhaps Peter wouldn't have done this journey of walking out on the water with Jesus if the sea had been calm. Because oftentimes storms prompt these unprecedented journeys. And what happened when Peter shifted his focus away from Jesus and to the storm, he sank. Give the storm more attention than the storm walker and get prepared to sink. Single-minded, focused on Jesus, our storm walker, and we can get through anything. Max Lucado, once again in his book Fearless, tells the story of when he was called into his doctor's office to look through some results of some difficult tests that he had. And as he looked at these overwhelming results, he kept glancing up from the paper to the diplomas of the doctor that was up on the walls. Because as he looked at the doctor's diplomas, it helped him calm his fears. And isn't it the same with God? We have to counterbalance our looking at our overwhelming challenges of life by looking up at the accomplishments of God. Look at his diplomas hung all over the universe. Rainbows, sunsets, horizons, and starry skies remind us that he is the creator and the sustainer of our lives, and he has got us. Read the scripture. Memorize the accomplishments of God. Focus on those. Just as I said before, fear creates a spiritual amnesia, dulling our miracle memory. So instead, let's focus on all the many times that God has come through for us. And let's listen to each other's stories. Because as we hear other stories of our brothers and sisters who have seen God be faithful, those are also God's diplomas all over the world. When we look at those, when we fix our eyes on them, the things that we are afraid of tend to be put into perspective as they fade in the background. And with that in mind, also share your fears with one another. Open the curtains and expose them. Because like Lucado says, like vampires, they can't stand in the sunlight. Share them with your trusted friends and call them out in prayer. That is what the church is for. It's where our fears go to die. We calm our fears by worshiping, by gazing at God instead of our dreads. And so I started with looking at Psalm 46, and I want to end there as well. So Psalm 46 actually inspired the song written by Martin Luther called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So before our closing song today, I wanted to read through this song. Louise Benson says it was sung by poor Protestant emigrants on their way into exile and by martyrs at their death. 
and is woven into the web of the history of the Reformation times, and it became the true national hymn of Protestant Germany. Luther wrote this, this song based on Psalm 46 and how Jesus fulfills it. This hymn became closely associated with Luther himself as it embodied in its words and melodies so much of the character of this author, bold and confident in the face of opposition. Most likely it was written in October of 1527 as the Black Plague was approaching. So I'm going to read through each of these verses of this song and hopefully give a little bit of an explanation of what he's saying here. So the first verse, it says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our shelter he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. So God is our fortress. This is written in the times of castles, and a bulwark was a defensive wall or fortress. This makes me think of God being a shield around us. He is our fortress who is mighty to guard and protect us. And this verse ends kind of on a somber note, mentioning the ancient foe, Satan, who tries to bring danger and distress into our lives. But verse 2, it says, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Saboth is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. So we can't stand by our own strength. If we tried to rely on ourselves, we would lose terribly. But God has a man on our side, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Saboth, or Lord of hosts, with armies of angelic warriors. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 3 says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. So even though this world is filled with devils or filled with so many wonderful things to be afraid of, those who try to undo or destroy us. We do not need to fear because God has already decided that his truth will win the war. One word, and who is the word in John 1, 1, Jesus. Satan may be a powerful enemy, but it is the one word of God who is far more powerful. And finally, verse 4. The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. 
His kingdom is forever. We all should have an eternal perspective on this life. Let go of the worldly ties because this life is not all there is. God's truth goes on and he will reign forever. So in closing, the song I have for you today is um, Fear is a Liar. Uh, this just, I knew I'd play it at some point this year. It was going to happen. And so today it is. This is like a battle cry against fear, I think. I have sung it many times as my own battle cry against fear. And so um, let's listen to this song as we close.